This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Debbie Probst, the president of retail for Herman Miller. Debbie joined the furnishings giant this January after seven years at One Kings Lane. Within a matter of weeks, her roadmap for the company hit an unexpected snag. But Debbie's team has been pivoting to address the disruption of the coronavirus, fast-tracking digital efforts, and looking for opportunities amidst the uncertainty. I spoke with her about her time at One Kings Lane, the past and future of retail, and what it's like to start a new leadership role in the midst of a crisis. This podcast is sponsored by Daydon, the luxury furniture brand that has changed the way we live outdoors. In the midst of an uncertain time, Daydon has been there for designers. Behind the scenes, they're filling orders, hosting video presentations, and shipping samples wherever they need to go. Now, home matters more than ever. And for clients who want to make the most of their outdoor spaces, Daydon has a complete range of elegant options, from iconic hanging loungers to collaborations with world-renowned designers like Gam Fratesi and Philippe Stark, to the new Sea Line collection. Each handwoven piece embodies the synthesis of age-old craftsmanship and cutting-edge technology. To learn more, visit daydon.us. That's D-E-D-O-N dot U-S. This podcast has been sponsored by Industry West. We all know it can be tough to find really great modern furniture and decor, that's affordable, feels as good as it looks, and just generally makes you happy. Industry West believes that buying good design should be inspiring, fun, and easy. From dining and lounge chairs to sofas and end tables and more, Industry West offers high-quality products and goes to great lengths to ensure customer happiness. They also offer an amazing trade program, providing industry-best warranties and lead times. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with killer design that can make even your highest traffic rooms feel like a getaway, visit industrywest.com. And now, on with the show. So I I, I wanted to start off our conversation. You and I were, uh, as as people are often doing today, you and I were in touch on Instagram the day that you were officially – announcing that you were coming on board at Herman Miller. I was sending you a note of congratulations. You were going to take a little time off for the, uh, for the holidays and spend time with family. And, and when did you actually officially start in the, in the office? The first week of January was my first week with Herman Miller. So I had two weeks off in between jobs, uh, which I think is the longest vacation of my professional career. Is that um, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I think I had two days to myself once the children went back to school to sort of regroup and, and re-energize. Well, and, I, and I'm sure that you, that you needed to, to regroup. I, I mean, you were, you were leaving, for those that might not be familiar, you were leaving One King's Lane where you had been for, was it about seven years you had been there? Yeah, seven years. And, and what, did, what did you originally, what were you originally doing when you came to One King's Lane? What was your original function? You, I know you rose up in the, in the ranks over the I, years. I did. I joined the company in 2012. So One King's Lane launched in 2009. So it was still a fairly young company when I arrived on the scene. And, the, and I joined to uh, run the merchandising function. And so that's where I spent my first couple of years really focusing. And during the time that I was running that merchandising function, 
I, I really sort of prepared the way for transitioning out of a flash sale sourcing model to a model that was uh, much more akin to being a dependable resource for home furnishings. Uh, so that was quite a transition, as you can imagine, because the relationships we had with our vendor base were very much about selling liquida liquidation product. Right. Uh, the, the tools and systems that we had built were very much about selling inventory for a three-day period of time. So you know, if you asked a buyer at that time what worked, they could tell you what events worked. Chinoiserie bedroom was always the best, <laughs> but they couldn't tell you what their best-selling items were because it wasn't a, a skew-orientated business. Uh, so it was quite a transition that I undertook on the merchandising side before I started to take on more functions and eventually uh, landed in the president role there. Well, it's interesting that you say that and, and reminding people about the flash sales. I've had so many conversations recently with people who told me what an important role One King's Lane played in helping them get through the last financial crisis. Absolutely. I and mean, we would go to market and it would be a breath of fresh air when our buying team walked into, into a booth because uh, there was so much excess inventory at the market at that time. But even when I joined three years in, you know, I could tell that the inventories, inventory <laughs> models were changing, yeah. that people were buying differently. And so you know, that's, that, that was the catalyst for me starting to think about, okay, how do we shift our sourcing models so that we can become a more dependable resource in the future? But certainly the flash sale model got a lot of people out of a lot of challenging inventory situations. And it also started a lot of people's design careers during that time period. It, it did, and there were so many. There were so many designer profiles that that One Kings Lane did so well. There was such a powerful editorial and content arm of, of One Kings Lane, and and so many of the incredibly talented people working at in our industry today got some of their early training at, at One Kings Lane. Absolutely. I mean, at one point, we even considered, should we just be a media house? We were creating so much unique content every single day. It was a big part of our infrastructure. Uh, but certainly from a digital commerce perspective, you know, it was really foundational to me in the way that I think about the digital commerce interaction with a customer. It's about content um, as much as, as it is about the transaction. And so to bring everything to life in that editorial and visual way to sell the product is, is such an important set of ingredients for a successful recipe. Well, and as you said earlier, you, you rose up through the ranks over the years, eventually becoming president there and had, had conversations already started. I, I can't remember when, when Bed Bath & Beyond first acquired One Kings Lane. Remind that was in 2016. So I moved into the president role following that acquisition. Well, and it, it seemed as if uh, the, the, the notion of the kind of service that One King's Lane could provide uh, eventually sort of coalescing, I, I guess, around sort of designer services and, and uh, getting into the interior design part of the, of the business um, really started to, to, to get some traction under your, under your leadership. Yes? Absolutely. I mean, it was about channel expansion and business development and thinking about additional services and solutions for a broader audience than the audience that we started out serving. And so layering in the design services was an important element of that. It also seemed as if there was a little bit of a, of a challenge between, and I, I think I wrote a, an article for BOH at one point that talked about, you know, can, can One King's Lane really help 
Bed Bath and Beyond catch up digitally. It always seemed as if Bed Bath and Beyond was was just a, a, a little bit behind digitally, um, per, perhaps a, perhaps a great deal behind digitally, uh, where you were. And and I wonder if you can talk to me about that a little bit. The, the One Kingsley and team at that time was certainly a very digitally native team. And uh, at the time, Bed Bath & Beyond's digital strategy was still developing. I think one of the things that's really interesting about the situation that we're in today is, you know, that this crisis is causing the oil to separate from the water and and the retail brands that are not currently digitally native or don't have the capabilities and in-house talent to quickly become more digitally native are the ones that are really struggling right now. And when you have a large dependency on a large physical brick and mortar footprint, it's going to be a, a challenging crisis, a more challenging crisis to navigate. I, I completely agree. And, and and that's certainly a conversation that I'm having with, with a lot of businesses today. Some are, are wishing they were they were much farther along in the development. Uh, and, I, and I wanna talk to you about that being, a, uh, I gather, uh, an unimportant part of your of your new role. Um, did you sort of kind of come to the end uh, for for yourself with with One Kings Lane and this and this Herman Miller opportunity presented itself, or or what what led to the transition for you? Uh, there's no question uh, that I have a lot of love of the One Kings Lane brand and and you know grew that business with a tremendous amount of passion. The thing that was always missing for me in that role was that we were very focused on on a domestic marketplace. And I missed interacting with a global customer audience and uh, had very much fallen in love with the home furnishings category during my tenure at One Kings Lane. Uh, But as I looked to think about what was next and as I assessed what was missing for me in that particular role, it was was a global audience. And Mm. Harmon Miller uh, so nicely allows me to build on the home furnishings passion and experience that I have. Uh, but across a global marketplace, which is just so much more complex, and I really enjoy the complexity of that challenge. So let's let's talk about Herman Miller. So um, so originally, what was the what was the conversation around what they were imagining your your role to to be in in bringing you on? The intent of my role uh, was to do a lot of the things that I'm doing. And, and as a result of this crisis, I'm, I'm doing them quicker than I probably would have <laughs> otherwise done. Um, but it was about um, sort of recalibrating our approach to our retail positioning across a portfolio of brands. Harman Miller Consumer is a small piece of our total Harman Miller business right now. And a, uh, a product offering that I think has tremendous opportunity and appeal, especially now. Um, Design Within Reach is obviously a, a beloved brand that has carved the way for modernism in the home in the, in the United States, lacked uh, the digital omni-channel integration that I think uh, will, will help the brand excel beyond where it is today. And then Hey is a, a sort of newly acquired um, brand within our overall portfolio. And I think it's very exciting that it's a brand that has such an optimistic look and feel. And uh, I feel very passionate about its opportunity in the US market and globally. And I think sitting where we are today, a few months later, like th- that need for a little bit of joy and happiness out of the objects we use every day is even <laughs> more important. Well, I think we're looking to the to the Danish for leadership in a great many ways. So, uh, so so interesting for Hay to be uh, a bigger part of your your mix. Um, so, 
tell me tell me the the story around you showing up your your brand new job you you you're going in for your your onboarding process and uh and getting up to speed and and thankfully for for you getting to to meet all the team in in in, in person uh for for a little while um when do you when do you suddenly realize and sort of get word that oh my goodness things are about to dramatically change uh, so let's see, I started at the beginning of January and so luckily I had about six weeks in the in the office. We're based out of Stamford, Connecticut uh, with the team that's based there and then we do have retail employees all over the world. But um, I was at least able to be very hands-on and, and meet most of the team. I also spent that first six weeks starting to think about the strategies uh, that we wanted to roll out in the coming 12 months. And uh, very quickly put the organization through a roadmap planning process that uh, that produced slightly ahead of us going into work from home uh, a roadmap or a playbook that was sort of organized by function that laid out our initiatives for growth and our initiatives for improving the operating income of the, of the retail segment of our business over the next 12 months. And obviously I can't elaborate on all of those growth details. You'll have to watch so as we roll them out um, but uh, that roadmap is a is a combination of growth and cost savings and uh, I was very thankful to go into work from home having gotten that work under my belt uh, because as we've navigated through that crisis you know we've been able to really relate the decisions that we are making to that roadmap you mentioned that we'll 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 learn more uh, about what your what your big plans are and and I'm and I'm looking forward to that but I would love to to hear what your your thoughts are about how you imagine the the retail stores evolving as a result of all of this. Uh, well, I think retail stores stores across uh, the globe um, are going to need to think very differently about their business models. I, I'm thankful to be in home furnishings right now and not in apparel. <laughs> Uh, where I have a lot of seasonally liable inventory to worry about, uh, you know, held almost in prison in all the stores that are closed across the country. Um, I, I, yes, I feel so badly for, for every fashion retailer and, and, and brand right now. It's, it's just it's such a tough situation. And you know, I have a background in apparel, so I think about it a lot. And, you know, if I, if I was in apparel in a uh, brick-and-mortar-centric retail brand right now, I'd really be thinking about how I drive my business model towards something that's much more inventory light. And, and we've been talking about where now for ages, but this is the time to really drive a where now assortment strategy. You know, if we were truly delivering the product that customers wanted to wear in May and June, now we'd be in, the, in better shape than, than we are today because that product all delivered in January and February and hasn't sold yet. So, um, you know, I think well, the inventory exactly. models um, the immediacy of the product we sell will need to change in that segment of the retail industry. Well, I mean, when you when you talk about, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned your your apparel background, and I was going to ask you about this later, but you, since you brought it up, I mean, it you were you were at Abercrombie and and Fitch, yes, for Absolutely. I want to say seven mm-hmm. seven years or so, yeah, and that was such a, a revolutionary retailer, and and and. Uh, in a host of, of different ways at, at the time what did you what were you all doing that was seemed so transformational 
uh, at that time, so this was 2005 through 2012, you know, the, the, the big growth initiative during that time period was global expansion. And I think we were one of the first brands to think about retail as entertainment, right? Like the velvet ropes outside the stores, creating the yes. allure that something special is going in, on inside. The, it's basically a dance party every day at an Abercrombie and Fitch flagship store. All those store. handsome gents inside <laughs> the stores that were, uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, many was, of them perhaps not wearing shirts. Uh, I'm just saying. Absolutely. I mean, think what you will about that, but it was retail <laughs> theater, right? No, um, no. And, and they were absolutely lining up out the door. I, I mean, I lived just down the street from there in Manhattan. And I mean, it was it was hilarious, the lines going around the block. Absolutely. And I, <laughs> I remember being at the Hong Kong opening. It was like a mob scene. So many people wanted to get in and see what it was all about but if you think about that being you know 2010 call it and we're creating this yeah. retail theater I mean that really was the forefront of thinking about retail differently than a transactional environment right today we have right. Amazon when we want a humanless transaction with a brand but we go to physical retail because we want an experience and I think ANF did a really great job of of thinking about what their version of that experience was before the rest of the world started transitioning towards that. I, I agree. It was it was a, it was a it really stood out as a retailer for for that strategy. And then, remarkably, people sort of moved on, and and that lost a, a bit of its luster. Yes, and and sort of a new idea took took place, or or, or I don't know what took its place. Well, I think fast fashion took its place, right. Um, ANF was a brand that was um, founded in classic style and fairly seasonless in approach. And um, in comes Inditex and all the Inditex brands like the Zara's mm. of the world and obviously right. H&M and Forever 21 and, and that <laughs> immediacy of getting something that felt like it was straight off the runway at a price point. I think really drove a shift in the apparel industry. Part of the reason I'm, tr I'm trying to think about all of this is that I'm I'm so curious about the 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 evolution of the of the thinking around retail and and what you're imagining DWR stores will will need to to create to be compelling places for people to return to once we can all get back to the, the thrill of returning to stores and showrooms and, and everything else. Yeah, and you have an interesting train of thought here, right? Because it is a retail evolution, but retail is also very cyclical, as we know. And um, that there is this sort of shift away from fast fashion that's happening. And if you think about our movement towards sustainability and wellness and caring about the environment, fast fashion is the antithesis of that. And, and investing in fewer, better things is the more sustainable approach to consumption. And so, you know, I certainly think, especially with where we are today, we're probably going to see a more rapid shift into um, people investing in quality again and buying things to last and not things that are, you know, just for a, a specific season. We're taking a quick break to remind you about Daydon's commitment to helping designers navigate an uncertain time. Behind the scenes, they're doing whatever it takes to keep projects moving ahead. Whether it's hosting presentations over video chat or shipping samples wherever they need to go. Discover Daydon's full range of handcrafted, high design collections for lounging, dining, poolside, and beach. With materials ranging from Daydon's revolutionary woven fiber to highest quality teak, ceramics, upholstery, and more. Daydon creates unique atmospheres around the world. 
To learn more, visit daydon.us. That's D E D O N.us. And now, back to the show. Earlier, you were referring to the digital side and the and the work that you're starting to do there. Can you give me a sense of of where you saw some opportunities uh, on the digital side of the business? Well, I think we're going to see rapid digitization across retail right now. And you know, anyone that wasn't thinking about their strategy, their consumer engagement strategy, is omnichannel. Is very much thinking about that now. And you know, as I as I looked at the opportunity. Specifically with design within reach, which out of the portfolio of brands that I'm responsible for, is the brand with the biggest store footprint. Um, that there is so much opportunity to engage differently via all of our digital channels with with the audience, um, and so that's something that was very much underway already in terms of a different level of investment in in our ecom experience, um, and uh, we've been able to really speed up. Some of the execution over the last six weeks, while we've been working from home, because of a sheer need to shift the volume that we were losing from the stores being closed into that channel, and you know, I'll share some of those examples with you. But we had a uh, a video chat capability that we put into pilot in February, um, working with a, a third party um, that allows us to engage with customers that are on our website via a a, a chat window, but there is a video integration in this capability. And so uh, if we have a account executive, those are our design associates based out of our stores, um, sitting in a, in a studio or a store, um, engaging with a customer via this chat capability, and the customer wants to see something, we can just turn on the video feature and then we're suddenly giving the customer a virtual tour of our studio. And so in early February, that was very much possible because all of our studios and stores were open. And of course, as we started to close stores, then we would, as stores closed, we would divert the chats to the stores that were still open. And when the last store closed, um, we we started working from home in that capacity, but without the visit, without the video functionality. And we saw success in that initial pilot. So we we really rushed to roll it out. We had about six of our stores that were online with this chat capability. And, and we, within a week, rushed to move from test to full-blown launch and roll it out to the rest of our locations so that our, our account executive population could really use this as a mechanism for driving sales while they couldn't be face-to-face with customers. So we've, we've had success. And we also... We rolled out a couple of other features very quickly during this time period. Like we extended um, the affirm capability for. Uh, so tell us what that means. Um, so, are you familiar with affirm? Affirm is um, a, a payment capability in which you can pay in monthly installments, and it's very popular with a millennial audience. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> we're we're seeing a, a nice um, uptake, especially with with Hay and um, the Harmon Miller consumer website, but. That gives customers during this time period where you know cash is king. You want to keep as much cash in your pocket right now as you can sure. during the instability of the economy. It gives them the opportunity to you know, get the things that they need to make their home function for them right now or bring a little bit more joy into their home without having to make that full upfront investment and they can pay for overtime. So, so we rushed to, to roll that out and that's performed very well. And then just generally using our digital channels as a way of engaging very differently with customers right now. You know, I think this is our time to be human. You know, I reference the sort of humanless relationship you have with Amazon later. I've never talked to a human 
that works there. Good luck um, trying to get a hold of them. Right? Exactly. I mean. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think how we differ- differentiate um, specialty retailer from the Amazons and the other sort of mega retail platforms of the world is through these human relationships. And so um, the the team, the creative and the editorial teams, they've been very receptive to this this shift. And we've really been thoughtful about the messaging and the promotional messaging that we've been used right now. And I think just showed a more relatable side to our brand. And so I consider that part of this digitization that we're working through because it's about how to use those channels in a more powerful way to drive engagement with us. Um, That's really important right now more than ever because we can't rely on our store environment and the account executives in the stores that are the human face of our brands every single day um, to drive that type of traffic and conversion. Uh, People have new and different expectations around how their home should function for them today. Um, and, And we've had strength in engaging differently around those categories with customers in the last few weeks. Well, so let's so let's get into that a little bit because it, it is such a fascinating time how people's thoughts about how home can can work for them. Uh, I know that I'm thinking about updating my Aaron chair now that I spent so much time on your site. I have a very old one. It's it, it's not looking nearly as good as the as that nice uh, metal base one that you've got. <laughs> that is um, a nice so one. Note note to self. Um, but so every everyone is suddenly imagining that they need. Both a both a home office space, perhaps, but but also that they they may want to make some other sort of meaningful changes to their to their home. What are you What are you finding people are asking you for suddenly? Well, cer- certainly the home office product, and I think when we first started working from home, there was this perception that it was just going to be for a few weeks. But even so, we couldn't bear to sit on the chairs we had for just a few weeks. So there was a sort of immediate frenzy for task seating. Um, I, of course, love their on chair, but if you're sharing an office space with multiple members of your home, you know, sometimes my husband and I swap, swap uh, between mm. spaces so that we can get a change of scenery, then I really recommend uh, a chair we have called the Cosm chair because um, it, it's self-adjusting. So if, <laughs> if, you know, when someone drives your car, it's such a pain when you have to move everything back. Oh. You don't have to worry about that with this chair. Nice. Um, okay. So you know, there's a there's a big demand on ergonomic seating, and there's also a, a, a huge interest in storage. And I think people are realizing that um, their homes would probably work better right now if there was less clutter. Um, I'm ashamed to say I ha- hadn't cleaned my own home for quite some time before going <laughs> into this quarantine situation, and my poor housekeeper's on furlough, and so. Uh, you know, now I realize how, how hard it is to keep this house clean and dust everything. And, <laughs> and so now I want less stuff hanging around. <laughs> so storage solutions are really important right now. Um, well, and I, I, I've, seen, I've seen quite a few Insta stories that uh, have revealed people, people do need to, to straighten up a bit, perhaps, and, uh, and, and some storage would be, would be welcome. Absolutely. And if you think about the health aspect of our home environments and how necessary it is to think about health first right now, having surfaces that are easy to clean and things that are put away is really important. And I can't imagine, and we've been very lucky not to have been impacted by this terrible virus ourselves, but I can't imagine having a family member who's sick in the house and really having to deep clean everything on a daily basis with yeah. the amount of yeah. um, amount of stuff I have around. I mean, you know, I'm a, a recovering one king's leaner, so I have a lot of ma- maximalism <laughs> in the way that I decorate. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and I'm working towards a little bit more modernism. 
Well, and and I'm and I'm curious. You know, we we mentioned several items and 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 categories that that suddenly uh, are are gaining uh, interest. Uh, the, the office chairs and, and the storage. I'm wondering if there were categories conversely that suddenly people were paying less attention to or, or moving away from that, that also is a, a, a sign of sort of where we, where we are in our thinking. Obviously, the, the furnishing categories that are performing the most are the ones that are really relevant right now. And, but, but the areas that um, I think have less of a different demand on them right now um, are the areas that are less of a um, investment consideration for customers at the moment you know, like our bedrooms are still our bedrooms but our dining tables are home schools they're um, home offices and they're all sorts of other things and they still yeah. have to function as a dining table for us um, so yes, exactly it, furniture is being called on to perform in, in ways that we that we never would have imagined absolutely so you know think about the spaces that suddenly have multiple uses and those spaces equate to categories of product and those categories of product are are performing right now but you know I'd say one thing that I've thought about quite a bit over the last couple of weeks and I think is really interesting to the home category at large is you know I think that this is a category that has very much competed with the experience economy you know, when when people make the decision to invest in a sofa quite often they're trading away from a vacation or some other experience and especially with the millennial demographic, you know, they, they really are making an investment decision between those two things at times. And the experience economy in the last six, eight weeks has really fallen by the wayside. Um, and so that sort of competitive threat has, has allowed for, I think, a different investment consideration in home. Um, our homes are um, less about um, investing in them for the sake of having Instagrammable spaces and more about investing in the luxuries that are going to make that home more comfortable and uh, more highly functioning during this time period. And I think everyone's either anticipating that we're going to be spending more time at home for some time or preparing for another shelter in place in the future. Let's hope that that doesn't come to fruition. But I think we're all realizing that we are going to be spending considerably more time at home, even as things start to get back to a, a normal or a new normal. I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. A, because I'm I'm hoping this this relieves some of the pressure that people were feeling with regards to the need to create the Instagrammable moment in the in the home. I know we all want to feel house proud, and 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 that we. That we really uh, want to share the the great choices that we've that we've made, um, but I've I've really had some some very satisfying moments on Instagram with people sharing the reality of how they're living in their homes right now, homeschooling and trying to be on Zoom calls, and uh, and your partners in the other room trying to manage their business, and uh, and some of the some of the realness around uh, seeing people's homes today in a way has been much more meaningful to me. It has, and actually, as as someone that's a new leader within an organization, you know, being on screen with my home in the backdrop every single hour of the working day with my team, <laughs> you know, they they have gotten to know me better and faster than, than they would have done otherwise because they see the backdrop of my life happening around me, um, and sure. so you know, it's been a really interesting catalyst uh, with regards to that. Um, we're we're all a little bit more human now because we're all dealing with the same thing. Um, as, as leaders, you know, we have to be steadfast in the way that we deal with it. But ultimately, we're all juggling the same challenges. 
We're taking a quick break to remind you about Industry West and its amazing trade program. This company has helped furnish remarkable office, restaurant, and hospitality spaces throughout North America. Industry West's trade program allows it to collaborate with interior designers, architects, restaurateurs, hoteliers, and business owners to expedite all of your projects and trade needs. From trade discounts to an industry best warranty, Industry West is built to work with designers on amazing projects. Check them out at industrywest.com and click on the trade program button on their site to create your account today. And now, back to the show. This is an incredibly challenging time for anyone to be stepping into a new position in a in a leadership role and and trying to manage your team through this this incredible challenge on, on, on a host of levels. The, the, the home officing is just a small component of it, and then there's the, the fear of, of the virus and, and, and whatever else might be going on for people and their families. How, how are you sort of rising to that challenge your, your, yourself of your, of your new role as leader? Well, every business leader is challenged with the difficult decisions at this time. Um, Given the un- unprecedented nature of, of COVID-19, there's no playbook to consult. You know, as, as I said earlier, our networks are so important because there's um, you know benefit and thinking that comes out of collaboration and putting great minds together. Um, but I'd say ultimately when it comes down to navigating these choppy waters, my leadership philosophy remains intact, um, which is prioritization around the health and safety of the team and the policies that uh, support their health and safety, Um, playing to employee strengths. um, And so focusing more than ever on optimizing people against the right roles and against the right initiatives. Uh, And most importantly, constant communication. Um, Obviously, face-to-face interactions are better and more personal, even from a distance. And you know, there's, there's actually something nice about a virtual meeting um, that's happening on a screen versus sitting in a room with, with a group of people. Obviously, there's a lot less spontaneousness um, to the idea sharing that happens when you're a group of people on screen. But the interactions I'm having with team members in a group meeting on a screen feel much more personal because, you know, it's, it's one person looking at one person talking at a time. Um, and I think that that communication is is important. I'd say the other thing that uh, has been really important as a leader that's new to a business is, as I said, I did have the chance to create a a blueprint for what the next 12 or so months looks like for the businesses that I run. And um, that blueprint was created before we really began to understand how COVID would impact us and the economy. And of course, now that we have a better sense of what that impact looks like, we've taken another look at that roadmap and said, okay, what is the post-COVID reality here? What's still important? What are we still going to pursue? Because we believe there are long-term investments in the business. And so any decisions through this period we've made, I've been able to relate back to that vision and that roadmap, and that's been really helpful. And I think during this time period, 
We've spent so much time in crisis management, especially for those of us in retail leadership roles that manage stores. I mean, there was, I think, a four-week period where we all sort of executed a very similar playbook every week. You know, the first week was about making sure your stores were as clean as possible and you had new protocols in place. And then the next week was about, oh, actually, we're starting to shut the stores and dealing with that and then dealing with the employee impact of shutting those stores. Um, And so toggling between that crisis management and dealing with the, the, the protocol development and the decision making that you've never had to do before and growth initiatives so that we can propel ourselves on the other side of this um, mean that we're getting laser focused and redeploying resources with, without actually the type of resistance we might normally experience. But I think that this sort of need to balance between crisis management and thinking about the future and and what we look like on the other side is really important right now. Well, it's so interesting to me having followed the Herman Miller for for so many years and the company recognizing that it needed to broaden its product mix, it needed to build out on the consumer side thus the acquisition of DWR and and some of these other brands and uh, that you that you've brought into the into the mix there was already this dramatically changing office world and and this resumercial uh, notion that that came into to play um, mixing that that sort of more uh, more sort of home-based product into into office spaces much more, but also just companies recognizing how much the workplace was was changing, mm-hmm. and now it seems as if those trends are are only going to even more rapidly accelerate, and it and it seems like it was such a, a wise investment in in retrospect to have really broadened out this portfolio, and now it seems like all of the different components of the company are able to to step up to this perhaps very long-term new demand uh, for, as we were saying earlier, how people's homes are going to have to perform for them in a different way, how people are imagining possibly working from home a great deal more than they ever would have imagined before, uh, and perhaps for, for lengthy periods of time, and, and office environments also needing to to change in a, in a very meaningful way. Absolutely. I mean, you can imagine we're spending a great deal of time right now talking about what the, the future of an office environment looks like. And, you know, the one thing that is true is we're, we're going to need more space um, than, than we're operating in today. And, and, and likely we will have to create that space by having less people in our office buildings. And we'll have to achieve that through having rotational schedules around 50-50 50% of the people in the office one day, 50% of the people in the office next day, or you know, some roles may permanently shift to work from home. Um, so, so we feel really well poised to weather the storm, um, you know, given that we are in the business of creating innovative and creative furnishing solutions for all sorts of spaces, not just offices, but medical environments, schools, um, and that we have this um, direct-to-consumer residential, residential furnishings um, uh, retail brand portfolio. Now, ultimately, this is about um, success and longevity in business through portfolio management, right? If you if you do one thing and you only do one thing, there are going to be threats that risk your business uh, longevity. And when you do 
multiple things that map to your core capabilities and you do those multiple things well, you're going to survive these kinds of things. You know, this is not the first crisis, global crisis that Herman Miller has had to survive through. Are there are there changes that that you are are starting to imagine making uh, on the retail side that you think aren't just going to be temporary changes to sort of make people feel safer and, and more comfortable in, in coming back in the short term. But is this an opportunity for, for us to all sort of reimagine the way we do some things and, and, and really change them up at a, at a retail level? Absolutely. And I think we say at Herman Miller, you can't waste a crisis. And this is a crisis unlike one that we've ever faced before. Um, and so we have to get better and more nimble, more agile as a result of this crisis. And we have to deliver new and different services. And I think, you know, we expect a long road to recovery in the economy. Um, and we expect a threat to our well-being for some time. And so, you know, we have to think about short term, medium term and long term. And ultimately, you know, I think short term is the next several weeks, couple of months to getting our stores back up and running. The medium term is you know, probably the next 12 to 18 months and likely at least until we have a vaccine for this virus. And then beyond that, um, how have consumer behaviors changed, right? Because a 18 month period that looks very different than the 18 months before it um, will, will permanently change consumer behavior. And that will require retailers to permanently change the way that they engage that community. Have you have you gotten some some insights in the short term about what people are responding to in terms of your 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 digital your DWR has a has a lovely catalog as well is that something that you see uh, continuing to to make uh, even more use of what 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 do you think is the best way to sort of reach and connect people with these days uh, I think all retailers are going to be reevaluating how they think about engaging with the consumers and in, in which channels. You know, email was a channel that was becoming very crowded, um, mm. and you know, over the last twenty-four months, had become uh, less and less effective. And I think retailers are starting to consider moving to text for quick engagement and promotional messaging with customers. But um, you know, I think as we're all spending more time on our laptops and we're all spending more time turning to our devices for entertainment in the short term, that that, that has changed. Um, I also think we're, as a retail community, all looking for ways to invest differently. Um, and uh, I think we're going to be looking for more ways to invest in things that drive um, immediate return on that investment. Um, and that will mean that our marketing mixes shift. Um, uh, I think a lot of us are reconsidering how much print we do versus how much digital we do. And I think that that was happening anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it definitely was all sort of moving in that direction. And that's, uh, again, this notion of sort of trends that were in place seem as if they're only going to, to accelerate uh, further right now. That's how I feel. I think that we've put everything on overdrive in terms of, of trend and behavioral change in the last two months. And, um, you know, this is going on long enough. Like I said, we're making habits, right? It takes 30 days to make a habit yes. or break a habit. <laughs> and uh, so we're making <laughs> new habits now. And a lot of those habits will stay with us. 
Well, it, it seems like an incredible opportunity for you right now to get a lot of things done quickly, and it sounds like you already are. Well, and I and I, a huge testament to, to the team uh, in the retail segment at Herman Miller. Um, this is a team that's showing extreme prowess in their agility right now, and I'm really thankful for um, the amount of passion and investment and time and willingness and openness to change that the, the, the team that you know I'm now the leader of is taking on. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for making the time to talk with us. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Dennis. I hope to see you soon at a fun dinner in the city. <laughs> Until then, I'll see you on Instagram. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. I know these are uncertain times, but in conversations I've had in the past few weeks, both on air and off, I've been so inspired by the creativity and ingenuity that defines our industry. Home is more important than ever, and no one understands that better than the design community. If you'd like to keep up with the latest news, visit us online at businessofhome.com. A quick announcement, right now we're hosting twice-weekly community webinars with experts from around the industry. They're available only to members of the BOH Insiders program, so be sure to sign up on the site. And finally, if you have thoughts or a story of your own to share, please drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. This show was produced by Fred Nicolaus and Marina Felix. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you next week.